Father, thank you so much for the amazing time of worship that we enjoyed this morning. And I just want to pray, Father, as we get into the word this morning, that uh, Holy Spirit, uh, you would come to teach and instruct and encourage and impart godly biblical truth to us. I pray that the traditions of men would be put aside, our own thoughts and convictions and opinions would be put aside, and I pray today, Lord God, that we would be determined to build our knowledge of you and our experience of you around the truth of your word. I pray, Lord God, that you would cut to our hearts the living word. Lord, Lord, we know your word is living and active, and it cuts to the heart. And I pray today, Lord God, for, for that very thing to happen. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to be uh, preaching this morning on the gift of tongues. Now, normally my introductions to my sermons are not so definitive straight out of the chute, Um, but uh, they're normally a lot more subtle and a lot more kind of nuanced than just announcing what I'm going to be speaking on. But uh, the reason I'm doing that is I want to acknowledge this morning the variety of opinions and even the, the possible variety of reactions to the fact this morning that I'm preaching on that particular subject. There are probably some of you here in the room this morning, on the one hand, who are very comfortable uh, with the teaching that the Bible gives on the subject of tongues. Um, And you might even think that you don't have much more to learn about the subject. And I trust that that isn't the case. I trust that there was always a desire in our hearts to continue to learn and grow according to what God's Word teaches. On the other hand, there are some in this room who, when I mention the name or the word tongues, your pupils have dilated and your heart rate maybe has gone up a little bit because you are particularly nervous about the subject and perhaps justifiably so. Maybe you've been taught things about tongues or maybe you've, been, you've seen a, 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 a kind of an unhelpful outworking of the gift of tongues. And uh, I hope today that our common commitment to God's word is going to ease some of your concerns and and instruct us, as the Bible says, instruct us in the way that we should go, how to grow up in godliness and in righteousness. Uh, Paul writes to Timothy, the word of God is is helpful for instructing and for for training the, the people of God in the things of righteousness. And I hope today that's going to be the case. So, So no matter where you fit in that spectrum, from from very comfortable to super nervous about the subject, if you're on either end of the spectrum or somewhere in between, maybe maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, and you have no idea what I'm speaking about when I mention the thing, gift of tongues. Well, no matter where you are, I hope that you will give me 30 to 35 minutes of your attention, and let's journey together. This is going to be a teaching-intensive message. We're going to spend a lot of time in God's Word. We're going to be referencing the Word of God a lot because I want our understanding of the gift of tongues not to be built around experience primarily. Experience is always subservient to the truth of God's Word. And I want us today to dig into God's Word together and to learn and grow as to, as to what God teaches about tongues. We are, as Matt mentioned, we are in a, a, a teaching series, a 10-week teaching series entitled Eagerly Desired. And generally, we are looking at what it means to live a life that is empowered by the Spirit of God. 
We, we've, we've made this statement and we carry the conviction that it's impossible for us to impact a dying world through a lifeless Christianity, one that is void of the power of, of, of God through the Holy Spirit and one that might be void of the power of God that comes by his word. But specifically through this series, we are teaching around the subject of God's gifts, gifts that are given to the church, to God's people, in order to minister and take his word out to this dying world. We see the Bible teaches that there are three particular groups of gifts. And through our series, we've likened those gifts to, to three faucets or three kind of flows of the life of God that comes into the church. Firstly, there are things called grace gifts. These are gifts given by the Father, supernatural, yet very, uh, uh, um, very practical gifts or abilities that God gives us in order to make His goodness and grace known to us. The important question when it comes to grace gifts that we've asked and answered is this, which way is the grace of God flowing? Is God's grace as it should, is it flowing from God through the person who is ministering in the gift to the person receiving that ministry? That's what happens when we operate in a grace gift that God has given us, or at times, is, the grace of, is grace having to flow from the people we are ministering to, to us, because we are not operating in a grace gift that is clearly ours from God? And I used the uh, illustration of the time, the one time, the one and only time that I had to lead worship in the early years of church in the city when my wife was awfully ill and there was no one else to lead worship. The congregation, about 10 of you, had to extend incredible grace to me as I led worship. That's not how grace gifts are meant to flow. The second category of gifts that we've looked at is the ministry gifts. These are skilled leaders or skilled servants that Jesus has given to his church. The gift of the apostle and the prophet and the pastor and the teacher and the evangelist that are, that are given to the church in order to help the church grow and mature and be strengthened and to prepare for his return. And the question or the key kind of point that we made there is, in order for us to be a mature church, we want to be open to the gift of the apostle and prophet and pastor and teacher and evangelist, not just open to the gift that is our particular favorite if we want to grow and mature. And then lastly, the third category or the third group of gifts is called the manifestation gifts or the gifts of the Spirit. This is the power of God that comes to us through the person of the Holy Spirit in order to particularly make God's will and nature known. And 1 Corinthians 4, uh, 12 mentions nine gifts in particular. And I said to us as a church, it's our desire not just to flow in, in one of these three or two of these three categories of gifts. We want to be open to the grace gifts, the gifts of administration and leadership and mercy and, mercy and, and, and the gift of generosity. We want to be open to the ministry gifts for apostles and prophets to speak into our church. And we want to be open to the gifts of the Holy Spirit, that there would be those who would prophesy and have words of knowledge and wisdom to make and declare God's uh, will and nature to us. After that, we spent some time looking at the, the culture or the environment in which these gifts flourish. And we learned two things in particular. Firstly, these gifts flourish in an environment of faith. 
where there's an, a, a desire and an, and an eagerness to, to be stretched and to put ourselves in a position where God needs to come through, a, a place of trusting God in that environment of faith, that's where the gifts of God begin to flourish. But secondly, and just as importantly, the environment of love, a desire to honor God, a desire to worship God with all of our hearts, a desire to be concerned about the body of Jesus Christ, to love one another. And then last week, we started looking very particularly at 1 Corinthians 14. And the two gifts that Paul makes mention in 1 Corinthians 14, above all the others, Matt did an outstanding job last week of preaching on the subject of prophecy. What is prophecy and how does prophecy work and why should we eagerly desire to to flow in the gift of prophecy? And then today, I'm going to be speaking on tongues. What is, what is the gift of tongues and, 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 and what can we learn from the, the word of God about the gift of tongues? Whenever we read 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 or try to, to learn from those passages, I think sometimes the mistake that we make, generally speaking, is that we lift certain passages of scripture out of those chapters and kind of read them a little bit out of context, We know that to be true when it comes to reading God's word, but I want to suggest, particularly when it comes to learning about the gifts of the Spirit, it is imperative that we always remember the context of chapters 12, 13, and 14. Paul teaches us theology in chapter 12. He instructs us as to what the gifts are and who gives them. In chapter 13, Paul talks about the motivation of our hearts when we flow in the gifts, the motivation of love. And in chapter 14, he's giving practical application on how we are to flow in the gifts of the Spirit. I would even go so far as to suggest, and if you're comfortable to do this, is to to take a black Sharpie pen and actually mark out or cross out the chapter numbers. Because it, 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 it prevents us from taking things out of context. Now, don't worry, I'm not saying r- remove passages of Scripture. Chapter numbers are not divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit. Chapter numbers have been put in by modern Bible translators to help us understand how the Bible flows. But friends, the point I'm trying to make is, is that at times, people lift certain passages out of those chapters in order to create an argument to fit their position. One of the things that happens often is people look at a certain few verses, which we're going to start looking at now, in 1 Corinthians 13, as an argument for the fact that the gifts aren't in operation today, particularly those awkward gifts like prophecy and tongues. You know, we, 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 all, we all could do with a bit of wisdom and a word of knowledge, and faith is good, but man, prophecy in tongues is particularly icky. It can get really messy at times, so, so let's find an argument. This is what some people say. Let's find an argument in Scripture to prevent us from having to, to embrace those awkward and difficult gifts. In 1 Corinthians 13, it says, prophecies will cease. It says, tongues will be stilled. It says knowledge will no longer be required. But what Paul is doing, and we're going to read this now, what Paul is doing in 1 Corinthians 13 is he's juxtaposing the reality of now without Jesus with the then of when Jesus returns. Let's read together. It's going to be on the screen behind you so you can follow along there. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8. Paul says this, Love never fails. 
But where there are prophecies, when he says where there are prophecies, he's speaking about now, before Jesus returns. Where there are prophecies now, they will cease then, when Jesus returns. Where there are tongues now, they will be stilled then, when Jesus returns. Where there is knowledge now, it will pass away then. For now, we know in part Therefore, we prophesy in part. But when the perfection comes, Jesus, when he comes, then the imperfect will disappear. Verse 12, now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall, be, then I shall fully known, even as I am fully known. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. You see, when Jesus returns, we won't even need faith and hope any longer. Because Jesus will be before us, but love will always remain. There is a comfort level with us saying faith and hope will one day cease. But friends, it's the same with the gifts. Right now we need faith and hope. Right now we need the gifts of the Spirit. But when Jesus returns, those gifts will no longer be needed. I use this illustration, if one of you come up to me when Jesus has returned and says, Steve, I've got a prophetic word for you, I will say, thank you so much, my friend, but I've got Jesus. The gifts are no longer needed. But until that day happens, we need the gifts to understand something of God's nature and something of God's heart. And so Paul continues in verse 1 of chapter 14. He says this, follow the way of love. That's our motivation. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. Can I say, Paul wants us to eagerly desire all nine gifts, including the icky ones, including the awkward ones, including the difficult ones, which at times can be prophecy and tongues. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. And we're going to speak a little bit about why Paul makes that distinction, where he seems to elevate prophecy above all the others. So three things that we're going to look at this morning. Very simple. Why? Uh, sorry, what? Why? And how? What is the gift of tongues? Why should I eagerly desire it? And then thirdly, how? do I do it? How do I eagerly desire the gift of tongues? Let's start with the first one. What is the gift of tongues? And, and, and while I'm defining the gift of tongues, I'm going to show us what the gift of tongues isn't. If we can biblically and correctly define it, and we'll give some application as we go through the sermon, we can see what the gift of tongues isn't. This is how I define the gift of tongues. It's a, it's a combination of what I see in scripture and, and with some help from some books that I've read. The gift of tongues is the spirit-energized or the spirit-empowered ability to pray, to worship, to give thanks, and to speak to God in a language other than your own or one that you've learned. It's the spirit-energized ability to pray, to worship, to give thanks, and to speak to God in a language other than your own or one that you've learned. And this language can be one of two things. It can be a known language. Sometimes Paul refers to that as the tongues of men. That's what seems to have happened in Acts chapter 2 during Pentecost. The Spirit of God is poured out upon the Jewish believers 
that are gathered in the upper room, tongues of fire come down, they burst out into the streets and begin to proclaim the goodness of God in languages that they hadn't learnt but were familiar to the hearers. The tongues of men. It can be a known language that we hadn't learnt or an unknown heavenly language. Paul refers to that in 1 Corinthians 13 as the tongues of angels. I love Romans chapter 8 verse 26 when it comes to teaching on the subject of tongues. Although Paul never specifically mentions the phrase tongues in Romans chapter 8 26, it's, it's a strong, uh, a helpful verse that speaks on the subject. Paul says this in Romans chapter 8 verse 26. He says, he starts off in the same way. In the same way as what? Well, well the context of Romans 8 26 is this. Paul speaks about creation that is groaning and longing for the return of Jesus to restore everything back to the way God had made it. That's the context. Creation is groaning. And he goes on to say, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Every single one of us as believers in Jesus Christ whether you appreciate this or realize this or not, but every single one of us are wrestling with that same kind of groaning, that same longing for, for, for it must be better than this. The, 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 the reality of the here and now with the perfection that is still to come. There is a longing and a groaning in our hearts. And Paul says in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray. Have you been in that situation? Have you faced a situation where you're not sure what to pray? Well, the Bible tells us we, don't, we do not know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. You see, this is where tongues is so unique. Tongues, more than all the other gifts, the other nine gifts mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12, has a particular weighted emphasis on the personal benefit that comes to the person with the gift. If I'm sick, or if I'm needing wisdom from the Lord, I can most certainly get into my prayer closet alone and ask God to heal me, or ask God to give me a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge. But generally speaking, gifts of prophecy and gifts of healing and, and gifts of words of knowledge and wisdom come as the body begin to minister to people. But the gifts of tongues is particularly unique. It's, there is incredible amount of personal edification. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14 verse 4, He who speaks in a tongue edifies and builds himself up. However, there is very much a, 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 a public expression of the gift. When a gift of tongues comes in a public meeting, can I say this? It is a meeting stopper moment. It can't just be glossed over. It's an opportunity and it requires the leaders of the church to, to kind of bring the meeting to a, to a halt for a moment, to pause, to make sure that there is interpretation of that gift so that there can be understanding and edification for the entire body. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14 verse 27. If anyone brings a tongue, sorry, if anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak one at a time, and someone must interpret. So if this is what tongues is, can I suggest 
This is what tongues isn't. Tongues is not God's greatest gift given to his most favorite, mature, and beloved children. And it is not a sign that we have more of the Holy Spirit. The gift of tongues is available to every single one of us. The most, the most newly saved, the most immature uh, uh, son or daughter of the Lord Most High is able to operate in all nine gifts, including the gift of tongues. The gift of tongues is the spirit-energized ability to pray and offer praise that deepens our relationship with the Lord, which could I suggest is exactly what prayer and praise is meant to do. All right, the second question we need to move on to, why should I eagerly desire the gift of tongues? Why should I eagerly desire the gift of tongues? I told you this is going to be teaching intensive. Are you guys still with me? You still tracking? All right, I've got three points. I'm sure there's a ton of others, but I felt the Lord just dropped three things in my heart as to why we should eagerly desire the gift of tongues. Number one, because it stimulates the flow of the mysteries of God within your spirit. It stimulates the flow of the mysteries of God within your spirit. 1 Corinthians 14 verse 2. Paul writes this, for anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He he utters mysteries with his spirit. When I speak in tongues or when I pray in tongues, my spirit is empowered by the Holy Spirit to speak to God using the faculties of my voice whilst bypassing my immediate understanding. Now that sounds awfully mystical, doesn't it? It it really does. I acknowledge that sounds awfully mystical, but it's not a concept that we're not unfamiliar with. I want you to put yourself in a position where you have been asked to pray for somebody or you've been asked to give counsel to somebody. Has this ever happened to you? As you're giving somebody counsel, you make a statement that absolutely blows your mind. You're like, oh my goodness. You think to yourself, you don't say this out loud, but you're like, oh my goodness, where did I come up with that? I need to write that down. That's really impressive what I just counseled that person with. Has that ever happened to you or has that only happened to me? I'm sure it's happened to you. Conversely, there are times when you are being prayed for and there is an angst and there is a concern and a burden in your heart, but you haven't been able to give definition to it. And someone comes and they praise and they pray for you or they're counseling you and they are able to articulate the very thing that you know is burdening you. And you're like, yes, that's it. That's the thing. The point I'm trying to make is this. Sometimes, most often, our spirit is able to get its arms around the truths of God, sometimes often before our intellect is able to do that. It's as if our intellect is having to play catch up a little bit to the reality that our spirit is able to grasp the truths of God. And all that Paul is is trying to say to us is simply this. Spirit-empowered prayer stirs up the mysteries of God. Every single one of us sitting here will acknowledge, I know you will, that God's ways are higher than our ways. Isaiah 55 says that. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. But the remarkable thing is that by the Holy Spirit, through the gift of tongues, 
we are able to allow our spirits to grab hold of those truths that are honestly mysterious to our minds. Can I say as a personal testimony, praying and, and getting something of God's heart for the, for the, uh, the, the burden of our nation and, 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 the, and the reality of the struggle of the social justice and racial uh, issues that we face in our nation has not come purely by simply reading and listening to other people. But it's come by praying, often for, for hours, praying in the Spirit. I don't know what to pray for our nation. But God does. And as I give myself to praying in the Spirit, I'm somehow able to tap into those mysteries of God. Have you had a situation where one of your friends is struggling with a, with a debilitating illness and you don't know what to pray or how to continue to pray and, and there's this longing in you to want to express further the heart of God and your burden to pray, but you don't know how to do it. The gift of tongues enables us to do that. The season of, of planting Chris and Nancy and, and seeing Aiden and Eloise come and the building, as exciting as it is, at times has, has felt a challenge. But you know where I found peace and joy? It's as I pray in the Spirit and tap into the mysteries of God that aren't always necessarily available in my cerebral understanding. If you're not sure about what I'm speaking about, let me read to you a testimony. Monica is part of our church. She's not here today. She's actually at, uh, at Philip and, and, and Graziana's wedding. And she had an experience last, Sunday, last Saturday at a prayer event, which I want to read to you because it's a beautiful testimony of the very thing I'm trying to teach on. This is Monica's testimony. I was praying at Praise Chicago's event in Douglas Park last week. There was an altar call for salvations towards the end of worship. A woman came to the front. I got the impression she didn't speak much English. But when I asked her if she wanted to invite Jesus into her heart, she said yes. She repeated the request, and, we finished pray- and as we finished praying, she looked deep into my eyes. My initial reaction was that the prayer was done, and so I was a bit nervous, not quite sure what to do next. But the way she looked at me stopped me from walking away. I felt I was to hold her shoulders and pray in tongues over her. I prayed for about a minute. And in that minute, I could tell exactly what Jesus needed her to know, exactly what he intended to have sink deep into her spirit and what things he wanted to break off of her. It was, it was all the things I desperately wanted her to understand if I prayed in English, but, be, but couldn't because of the language barrier. As I prayed in tongues, I watched joy come into her eyes, peace And then her eyes welled up with tears. It was the first time I'd experienced this type of efficiency and beauty from the Holy Spirit toward another person. I'd I'd heard of it, but never experienced it firsthand. I love the way she grabbed me before I prayed in tongues. And it was as if her spirit said to me, you know what to do. Do it. Don't leave. Just pray for me. I love that. A beautiful testimony of the power of not knowing what to pray, but praying in tongues and God moving in great power. Why should I eagerly desire to pray in tongues? It stimulates the flow of the mysteries of God within me. Second point won't be as long, don't worry. Second point is this. It's a great way to pray. Praying in tongues is a great way to pray. I've already alluded to a lot of what, of what this, this, this point makes, but our spirit has direct access to the mysteries of God by bypassing the limitations of the intellect of our reasoning and understanding. Sometimes 
We just don't know what to pray. But as Paul says in Romans chapter 8, the Spirit of God intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. The Holy Spirit jumps in and compensates for our weakness and our ignorance. Guys, I, 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 I thought I had capacity to pray. Back in South Africa, uh, there was a friend of ours uh, who was on the eldership team with us, and every, a single guy, every single Friday night, he would get, go to our church building, and from seven at night to seven in the morning, he would set aside time to intercede and pray over every single person in the church, and he would pray particularly for the married couples. And I got wind of this, and I'm like, man, I'm going to pray with Moses. His name was Moses. I'm going to pray with Moses. And so I get there at seven o'clock, and he begins to pray, and we, we're walking up and down the, the hallway, and we begin to pray. Probably 20 minutes in, I said to Moses, Moses, I, I'm going to just kind of get on my hands and knees and kind of pray a little bit like this. And I got on my hands and knees, and I felt a little bit tired, so I kind of just put my head down like this. And I kid you not... So this is a half an hour into the 12-hour prayer session. Half an hour in, I, I fell asleep on my hands and knees and woke up about two and a half hours later, like 9.30 or so, and there was Moses praying like as if it was the first minute. I very sheepishly got up, got my car keys, let myself out the church building and drove home. The, the, the point is this, is that sometimes there is a huge amount of, of weakness and limitation that we have, ignorance and, and tiredness. And the ability to pray in tongues, enable, the Holy Spirit compensates for our weakness and enables us to tap into a realm that we might not necessarily have in our own strength. I mentioned earlier just praying for our nation and particularly around the Charlottesville um, uh, uh, race issues and, and, and riots that were happening a, a few weeks ago, the gift of tongues was, was something that God used very powerfully to kind of grab hold of my heart. We were driving back from vacation, and the car was quiet. We just had a very engaging conversation about social justice issues, and the news about Charlottesville was beginning to break. And my heart was burdened, and I did not know what to think or what to pray or, or what to ask God for. And while everyone was kind of sleeping or reading or listening to their own music, I just was driving and for literally hours on end, just began to pray in the Spirit. And God began to show me things and burden my heart for, for, for His heart for our nation at, at a time like this. Friends, praying in tongues is a great way to pray, especially when we don't know what to articulate to the prayers that is, that is burdening, burdening our heart. Thirdly, the third reason why we should eagerly desire tongues, it builds us up. It builds us up. It strengthens us spiritually. The Bible teaches, friends, that a strong spirit sustains us. Luke says of Jesus that he grew in wisdom and stature which literally means he grew in body and in spirit. And the Bible repeatedly encourages us that we need to be those that are edifying ourselves and building ourselves up in the spirit. Jude chapter 20 says that, but you, dear friends, build yourselves up in the most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Paul goes on in verse four of 1 Corinthians 14, he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. Can I say for a moment that there is nothing wrong with being edified yourself? 
There's nothing wrong with being edified yourself. When you read the Bible, the primary reason you read the Bible is to grow in your revelation of God. But as you grow in your revelation of God, you are edifying yourself. When you worship, as we, as we worship today, we don't worship primarily to be strengthened. We worship primarily to declare the greatness of God. But as we do that, we are ourselves edified. When you pray for someone who's sick or when you release a prophetic word, the primary purpose is not self-edification. It's to minister to that person. But you can't tell me that you're not encouraged when you begin to operate in those gifts. And so we mustn't be afraid to be personally edified and strengthened as we begin to operate in the gift of tongues. Paul says, he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. In fact, in verse 18, he goes on to say this, I thank God that I pray in tongues more than all of you. Paul's not being sarcastic. I believe Paul is thanking God that he, he is able to be personally edified through the gift of tongues. But here's the key, friends. It can't stay at personal edification. We are personally edified. We are encouraged in the Lord so that we can grow in our faith and be a blessing to those around us. Look at what Paul says in verse 19. But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. He's saying this, when it comes to the body, I would rather not be personally edified if I know that by the Holy Spirit, I can play a part in seeing others encouraged and edified. You see, friends, it's not always all about us. When we gather on a Sunday, the primary reason why we gather is not what's in it for me. The primary reason we gather on a Sunday is, 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 is an opportunity for us to exalt Jesus and to minister to one another. And through that, we are edified and encouraged. Why should I eagerly desire tongues? It stimulates the flow of the mysteries of God within me. It's a great way to pray and it builds me up. We're nearly finished. I've got about seven minutes, five to seven minutes left and then we're done. I want to just say one thing if I can. I don't want to speak on interpretation. There's so much that is in 1 Corinthians 14. But can I just say one or two things about interpretation and share a beautiful testimony from, from someone in our church that I think will really encourage you. Um, it was sent by Mariah who, who had a wonderful encounter with the Lord that I want to share in a, in a few moments. Paul seems to elevate prophecy above tongues. Eagerly desire the spiritual gifts especially the gift of prophecy. And the reason he does that, friends, is simply this, is that prophecy can do what tongues without interpretation can't. It strengthens, it edifies, it comforts, and it encourages. But as soon as there is interpretation, tongues is functionally equivalent to prophecy. Because it brings strengthening, understanding, and encouragement to the body. That's why he says in verse 5, I would, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. He who prophesies is greater than he who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets so that the church may be edified. When it comes to a public gathering and someone brings a tongue, that's why there has to be uh, interpretation so that the church body can be edified and encouraged. I want to read this, uh, this testimony. 
that Mariah sent me. Um, I think it's a wonderful, op- a wonderful testimony of the gift of interpretation that was happening. Mariah is, uh, you, you don't mind me reading this, Mariah, I, I got her permission to, you know, to do this. So this is Mariah. That Sunday, there was a particular Sunday, I felt the Holy Spirit very strongly during worship. It, was, it wasn't anything unusual, but I just knew that he was right there the entire time. This was something growing up I was not accustomed to, but I've grown to appreciate during my time at Church in the City. I remember just taking a moment to stop and dwell in the fact that day when I realized that someone was singing. At first, I thought the sound was bad because I couldn't understand it. Debs was singing in tongues. But then about halfway through a line, I began to understand. And I heard clearly the message that Debs had received. I remember feeling like the Holy Spirit was in the in every tiniest cell of my body as the words washed over me. She repeated herself uh, after that in what I somehow knew to be me, in what I somehow knew to me was not tongues anymore, but was English. When it was over, Austin turned and checked in on me because he knew that my first exp- it was my first experience with tongues. And I told him that I heard more of what, of what I should have. Looking back now, I realized I heard exactly what God wanted me to hear. But at the time, I was just kind of thrown off by it. And I wasn't sure what to do after that. I think I taught in Groundbreakers that Sunday, so I didn't get to process it until that afternoon. But I remember just being amazed and in awe that God would allow me to hear even a little bit more of his message for the church. Beautiful testimony of the gift of interpretation and coming with the gift of tongues. Alrighty, what is the gift of tongues? We've answered that question. Why should I eagerly desire it? We've answered that question. Now we're going to land very quickly. And I want to speak specifically to those of us here today who've never, uh, who've never, uh, who've never received the gift of tongues but you eagerly desire it or you, or you want to fan into flame the gift that God may have given you. I think there are some of us here who have spoken in tongues before, but you've allowed that gift to, to wane. You've allowed that gift to kind of die down a little bit. When I got saved, um, within three weeks of being saved, I remember praying for a woman with a thyroid issue. She had a, 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 a baseball-sized lump on the side of her throat. I had no idea what to do, and I nervously went up to her and laid my hands on her and prayed, and before my very eyes, that lump went away. Unfortunately, for many years after that, I was incredibly skeptical and critical of what happened. And that gift of healing that God was making available to me began to wane and began to die out. And only a number of years later did I realize it was my responsibility to fan that gift into flames to give myself to practicing the gift, to give myself to pursuing God, to see him glorified through that gift. And I wanna say some of us here may have prayed in tongues before, but that gift may have begun to wane or, or, or kind of die out. Paul says to Timothy, fan into flame the gifts God has given you. So very quickly, some practical things. If you eagerly desire the gift of tongues, some practical things for you to do. Number one, Continue to study the scriptures, continue to read books, and ask lots of questions. You see, friends, the, the, this side of eternity, this side of eternity, there's always going to be abuse of the gifts, 
But the correction for abuse is not no use, it's correct use. And correct use comes when we submit ourselves to the Word of God. So on this journey, continue to study the Scriptures, continue to ask questions, and continue to read books. There are two books in particular that I want to encourage. Sam Storms wrote a book, The Introduction to the Gifts of the Spirit, highly recommended. And secondly, this book by Larry Christensen, Speaking in Tongues. It was written, I think, about 60 or 70 years ago when the gift of tongues was first restored back into the church. Both really worthwhile. Secondly, never be afraid. Never be afraid. God is a good God. Luke chapter 11 says this, which of your fathers... If your son asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake instead. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? If we're asking God for the gift of tongues, it's the gift of tongues that the Father will give us. Thirdly, persevere in prayer. Persevere in prayer. Your eager desire to, to have the gift of tongues it is, is a desire that God placed within you. And the, the appropriate response to a desire that God placed within you is to persevere in prayer and to ask God to fulfill that desire that's in your heart. And sometimes we, th- that desire is not fulfilled right away. And oftentimes we walk away saying, well, that's not God's heart. No, we need to persevere in prayer because God placed that desire within you. Number four, learn to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. When it comes to speaking in tongues, we need to learn to follow the leading of the Spirit. Oftentimes, someone will be praying with you. They'll be laying hands on you and be asking God to fill you with the Holy Spirit. But you don't follow the person's lead. You follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. There's no need to, to, to have someone say to you, well, you know, I think someone once said, you know, say banana backwards as a means to kind of get you over the hump to speak in tongues. That's not necessary. You, you focus on Jesus. You glorify his name. You acknowledge the presence of the Holy Spirit in your midst. You, and then you, by faith, as the Spirit enables you, speak the words that God is laying on your heart to speak. That's how we flow and begin to operate in the gift of tongues. And then lastly, I would say this. Set aside time for extended periods of praise and worship. Tongues is a means of prayer and praise that enables us to deepen our relationship with God. And the best way to operate and flow in the gift of tongues is as we begin to worship Jesus and allow his goodness and presence and grace to wash over us. And that's exactly what we're going to do as we end off this morning. I'm going to ask the worship team if you guys wouldn't mind coming up. We're going to go back into a time of worship this morning and we're going to break bread together. If this is your first time at Church in the City or you somewhat new at Church in the City, we believe the Bible teaches there is not just one appropriate way to break bread together. I think a lot of our traditional way of breaking bread as churches is typically to take a small piece of bread and a tiny sip of grape juice and the, 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 the time of, of breaking bread or enjoying the Lord's Supper or the Lord's Table can often become very introspective and, and insular. 
There is a, it's an appropriate opportunity at times for us to reflect on the goodness of God. But the Bible teaches in 1 Corinthians that it is just as appropriate for us to worship and celebrate God for the fact that He sent His Son and through Jesus has prepared a banqueting table that we can feast on and celebrate the person of Jesus. So one of the things we often like to do at church in this city is to mix it up a little bit completely in accordance with God's word. Not to be different for the sake of being different, but to be different according to the word of the Lord. Different from just the traditions of man. You'll notice on my right to your left is a table full of various kinds of bread. We've done that to symbolize the banqueting feast that God is preparing for us in heaven right now. That one day we will be able to feast at the wedding supper of the Lamb. And so I want to invite you to come down. There is a gluten-free option on the very left-hand side for our gluten-free friends. Uh, But I want you to come down, and I want you not to take a tiny piece of bread, but I want you to take a good, healthy chunk of bread. Because we are celebrating the fact that Jesus laid down his life for us. On our right, uh, on my left, on your right, is not a tiny sip of grape juice, but half a cup of grape juice. Because we want to celebrate that Jesus spilt his blood. And acknowledge that through his blood, we have been invited into a new covenant. A relationship with God the Father, relationship with one another. And friends, at times, that is worthy of celebrating. That is worthy of us making a bit of a noise. Not in an irreverent way, but in a way to worship and exalt Jesus. So can I say, friends, this is not a time for us to be silent. This is not a time for us to get pious and religious. This is an opportunity for us to celebrate what God has done through His Son, Jesus. I'm going to ask you to stand in about 30 seconds. We're going to go back into a time of worship. And then James is going to invite you to come down to grab some grape juice, to grab some bread. In the, while you do that, say hi to a friend, give somebody a hug, meet somebody new, make your way back to your seats, and then we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Sound good? All right, let's stand up and let's worship Jesus as we close the meeting this morning.